Welcome to Turning Point Talks with Ashley, a podcast designed to help guide you with encouragement, movement, and challenges to help you carve your path to being the best version of you. Through sharing my own story, inviting others to share their stories, and being as real and raw as I possibly can be, my one goal is to inspire you to stand out rather than fit in. So welcome to Turning Point Talks with Ashley. I am your host, Ashley Johnson. Welcome back, everybody. Turning Point Talks with Ashley. I hope everyone had an amazing week. I hope you tuned in last week for Move Bitch, Get Out of Your Own Way. I got a lot of great feedback on the Instagram and via text messaging. So thank you guys. I love feedback. I love constructive criticism. So if you have any ideas or topics or feedback, like I said, please, please give it to me. Super excited for this episode. Let it be known, it is my first one with a guest speaker. We are sitting here in my office at Turn Studio, and I even put on my jogger set that was gifted to me over Christmas because apparently over the last, I don't know, three years, I have been relaxing at home in these same sweatpants every single night. There are our turn joggers, and if you own a pair, you know exactly why I wear them every night. And without further ado, I would like to introduce to you, for the very first time, my husband, Bert Johnson. Hey. In the hot seat. He is so nervous. (laughs) When they say that opposites attract, I would say that in these types of situations, we are opposites. I shine in the spotlight and crave attention and love being the center of attention. Bert here has printed out the questions I gave him with answers. He is prepared. I am never prepared, but this is going to be fun. So kick back and relax, and I hope you enjoy a little background on who we are together, who Bert is as an individual, because I thought it was important to bring him on as my first guest because his background and what he believes in and his foundation is extremely inspirational. He does a lot of work for a greater good, which we'll get into, but also thought it'd be fun just to have his take on me and give you guys a little bit of inside scoop of what it's like to be married to me. So yeah, welcome. Hey, patiently waiting my opportunity. (laughs) Oh, I am sure. So let's just kick it off. Tell everybody, tell the people who you are, a little bit about your background, if you had to give like a little elevator speech about who you are. Elevator speech. Let's see. Born and raised in Alpharetta, Georgia. I have a twin sister. Grew up there my whole life. Went to a private school down in College Park called Woodward Academy. Graduated there. Went on to Auburn did my time there and came back to Atlanta. So Ash and I both are some of the few that were born and raised in Atlanta and have have stuck around. Been back in Atlanta since I guess 2008. My first job was out on the streets slinging. Well, hold up, before we get to all that. So first of all, I didn't stick around in Atlanta. Just so you know, I did go to San Diego for three years. But let's pause, let's back it up. So twin sister, 
What was that like growing up? Because you always joke about the question that you get asked that you think is so funny, but I actually think I probably would have asked it too, which is what? Are you identical? (laughs) (laughs) So just note to all you listeners, because I'm sure there's so many of you tuning in to this fun one with Bert, but identical twins can't be possible if there's a male and female. (laughs) Anatomically, right? right. Yeah, yeah. But so what was that like? Growing up with a twin, I, I didn't know any different. It was just, she was just my sister. I didn't have really any other experience or basis to know what it's like to have an older or younger sibling. It was definitely cool to always have someone in your class. They always kind of were going through, I guess, similar experiences at a similar age. So you you kind of always had someone that, that understood and got you. I will say kind of that weird, awkward, like early teen mm. phase where you know, where girls kind of have the cooties, it was, it was an interesting dynamic because you, you hang out with your sister and people are like, Hey, is that your girlfriend? And you're like, Oh no, gross. But, Cause you're uh, not identical twins. Right. Not identical. Um, it was definitely cool to always have a twin. I didn't appreciate it. I don't think growing up, there was that awkward, like the girls have cooties phase. There was a lot of bickering and arguing. We know how to push each other's buttons really well, but I think, as we got older, we, you know, found an appreciation for each other and and grew a lot closer. Did you ever like crush on her friends and then that was like a hard no because you got in trouble for crushing on her friends? I didn't. No. She uh she crushed on my friend. She actually dated one of my friends, I guess junior or senior year of high school, and he would come over and, you know, sleep over with the boys and <laughs> Then, you know, later at night, we go go hang out with, with Abby. Yeah, I so did that, too. Yeah. Shout out to the Harrises. Anyway, so, okay, so you, then you went to college together, right? You went mm-hmm. to Auburn. So I know everybody knows I'm a diehard Clemson Tiger. Bert is an Auburn Tiger. And he loves to tell the story about how Clemson got their colors. He thinks that it's just the best story that we got them from Auburn's old uniforms. So you went to Auburn. Life was great. Fraternity. Yeah, I, I did the fraternity and I um, was fortunate enough to have those fraternity letters tattooed on my ankle. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're very <laughs> sexy. <laughs> to be honest, I wasn't, after the first probably year and a half, I wasn't very involved in the fraternity. Just kind of fell out of love with it for going up there and eating greasy food at the house every day and, and it just being crowded and busy and wasn't really my, my scene. And I, I found you know, my best friends outside the fraternity. So, you know, focus my time there. And it's so different for guys than girls, though, because like I previously stated in my couple episodes ago, sorority, like being in a big clique of girls, from my experience, just sucks compared to what you see on the fraternity side. Like guys get along better. They don't gossip about each other or they'll just say it to your face. They don't care about the little things as much. And they love just like partying and watching sports and pizza and beer and intramurals or whatever and just clowning around as opposed to the, oh, did you see what so-and-so was wearing at the dance last night? Or, oh, I can't believe she said this or that. Like, was that how it was for you in a fraternity? Like you fit in or you got along with everybody? You didn't drop out like I did? Yeah, for the most part. I think still in a fraternity, there's cliques within everything just like there isn't sure high school or an office or whatever there's going to be like 
the cool kids, the kids that are a little different, and they, they all kind of split up and hang on their own. But for the most part, it's pretty much just a collection of dudes just being dudes always. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be honest, that, that gets kind of old. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure it does get old, but I think in hindsight, I would have much rather been in a fraternity than a sorority. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so you were a good kid in college, right? You were a good kid in high school, good kid in college. You made good grades. Good man now. Yeah, you're a good, you're a great man now. You didn't get into trouble. You didn't get arrested like me. So side note, Bert comes home the other day with two folders from my father that he had given him with all of my police records and documentation from my college years about how much money he spent on attorney fees, how much money he spent on my college tuition, my grades, every single item that my dad had from my college years. And he was like, I thought you'd want it. And I immediately was like, this is not something that I was, that I would be proud to like, if we get blessed with kids to be like, yo, little Burton, you want to see what mommy did in college? Here's her DUI or underage drinking possessions, whatever. Do you have any of those fun stories? Never been arrested. <laughs> wow. No, yet. Not wow. All right. So you graduate, you immediately come back to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. How you doing on the nerves? You good? I'm good. Casual conversation. Casual. We're not drinking. He wanted to drink. I did. But I we're sweating. Of a <laughs> so you come back to Atlanta and tell us a little bit about your professional career up until what last 10 years or so. Yeah, my, my first job, as I was starting to say 10 minutes ago, uh, <laughs> was, was slinging printers and paper. I mean, pretty much about as close as you can get to the office if it was not in Scranton, if it was in Dunwoody, it was a small business. We had a bunch of different races and ethnicities represented. There was just a big room. There was no cubicle walls, nothing, just a bunch of desks. And I was the lone young <laughs> sales guy. And so I would sit in there and occasionally I would do inside sales phone calls, which is just terrifying as a 23, 24 year old in a room full of, you know, other people that the second you hang up the phone are asking questions about what happened on the call. Outside of that, I would go into buildings and I would take the elevator to the top and I would just walk down and go door to door and just knock on doors and try and get past the gatekeeper and try and schedule meetings so that we could talk printers and paper, <laughs> something I was very passionate about that time. Um, really? I've, the closest I've ever been to being arrested is one time I accidentally got into like a code entry only like laboratory facility <laughs> I got escorted out by two security guards out in Norcross oh my gosh I can um, only imagine the amount of sweat under your armpits the, he sweats so bad the really tall building down at Atlantic Station I can't remember what it is but I I took the elevator to the top knocked on the first door no one was there so i hopped in the stairwell to to come down well every single level is is guarded by a key and so i got stuck in the stairwell <laughs> for quite a bit of time i ended up having to walk all the way to the bottom and basically hung out down at the loading dock waiting on someone to finally open the door so i could get out were you gonna do that sales approach where you start at the top of the building and then literally work your way down to every door oh that's what i did that's awesome you know how many books are written and yeah. tell you to do that oh yeah it's so funny though because like hearing you say like go cold call and gatekeepers and all of that just like brings up all of my past mm -hmm. and my previous life and like I love that shit. 
I tell my staff all the time, like I love sales. And if any of my staff is listening, it's not terrifying cold calling or inside sales. You ladies keep calling those clients that haven't returned, right? Okay, so you moved on. Yeah, after about three and a half years, I stuck with the company for for a lot longer. The average tenure of an employee there was probably three to six months. <laughs> I lasted three and a half years. You um, would. Printers tend to be a big trigger point for people, and <laughs> so selling those was was pretty tough. And moved on. My dad had a company. He'd been in the employee recognition space since. I think 1985. So right when we were born, he hopped into the space, eventually spun off, created his own company called Recognition Strategies, where I came on, started working for him. It's been about 10 years. And now at the beginning of the year, have have purchased a company from him. Okay, well, hold on. So we can't fast forward that quickly because that's huge, right? And we'll get there. And so you start working for your dad Mm -hmm. and it's just basically your dad and Molly, I'm assuming. So it's a small employee wise company. Your dad was extremely successful, took advantage. I feel like of when employment recognition was really big in the workspace and he grew the company. So you come on board. What is that like father son relationship working together? the struggles, the best parts from it, any takeaways from that relationship aspects? Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It brings up different conversations, I guess, than you have previously. It brings in a, a little more of a serious note to it, but at the same time, our, you know, sort of business plan is, is to reduce overhead. You know, we represent a multitude of different suppliers and vendors, and they have all the the overhead and they stock all the merchandise and they have all the, you know, extended staff and departments and data centers and and things like that. So to keep our overhead low, you know, my dad's always operated out of the basement of the house we grew up in. So here I am, what, 27. Now I go back to the house I grew up in and I work out of the basement every day with my dad. And so no, my mom didn't cook me lunch. That was a question that everyone asked. Um, <laughs> Which I actually can back up because we'll get to our story, but I actually did show up one time on his lunch break to pick up a ping pong table when we weren't dating. We weren't even close to dating at this point. But And he was making the same thing I believe he made for lunch. He is a very consistent, habitual human being. And what did you make for lunch every day? Frittata. A frittata. For lunch, ladies and gentlemen, every day. Delicious. It started out, I was gifted (laughs) a a Hot Sauce of the Month Club membership. And so I had an excess of hot sauce, which I love hot sauce. (laughs) But I wanted to come up with a strategy of being able to use it. And so eggs are a great vehicle for hot sauce. And so every day for probably five to seven years, I made a frittata for lunch. Quick and easy, filling. So you're with your parents mm-hmm. almost every day, working from home, got to travel a little bit. You grew the company with your dad. You had some hardships. You lost some clients. What was that, two years right before the pandemic? Yeah. And so then the pandemic hits and you go from seeing your parents every day to now being stuck at home every day. Yeah. Even... 
leading up to the pandemic, I was I was working from my home, you know, probably fifty percent of the time. But I would still go up there, and it was always it was nice to be able to keep up. I would see my mom, you know, virtually every day. See my dad, you know, most of the days I was up there. So it definitely makes it easy to to keep up with each other. They always knew what was you know kind of going on in my life, and I was always able to keep up with with them with you know little to no effort just because we were personally present. Yeah, for sure. So what you kind of already said, probably what, eight minutes ago, you've been with the company 10 years. Your dad has slowly but surely passed the baton on to you. For the last couple years, I would say you've been more hands-on, the face of the company or the face behind the emails, if you will, and the phone calls. And as of January 1st, 2022, I am now talking to the owner, the CEO, <laughs> yes. the president. Do you have a title? I haven't updated the title. Okay. Don't worry, I don't know about that. Of Recognition Strategies. Correct. Congratulations. Thank you. Do I have any influence? Sure, we can put you on the board. Woman <laughs> <laughs> owned. Yeah. Well, hey, that's that's actually smart. Anyway, so this is a great segue. So I want to back it up a little bit to something else that you do. So you're working for your dad, your big boss moves there, but something that is part of our story as well, but something that a lot of people know about you is you are really heavy hearted and big into a nonprofit organization called LLS. And you are in, oh yes. Should we give the background on our story? And And then then lead into that? Okay, all right. So pump the brakes. Timeline. So I would love for y'all to hear our story from Bert's point of view. And I would love for you to hear it from my point of view. But we don't have, I don't want to like bore them with time, right? Because. Make it quick. Yeah. Well, sure. Go for it. You first. (laughs) Tell your side. Okay. January 14th, 2012. (laughs) I was standing at the bar at 10 Lizzie's. Uh, We were actually there celebrating the life of my sister's first husband, Sam, who had, he had passed away one year prior due to cancer. He had like a a four year battle of cancer. Sam went to Auburn with us, was, you know, my sister's sweetheart, you know, everything. They they got out of college, you know, got married. Um, Fortunately, you know, kind of right when, right when they got engaged, he was diagnosed. And so throughout their whole marriage, you know, dealt with that, that cancer. But unfortunately, he he did end up passing away to cancer. And on that one year anniversary, we went out to Tin Lizzie's to, as a family, just to kind of celebrate him. If anyone knows, Tin Lizzie's Buckhead back in the day was just bumping nuts on a Friday night. Like it is just wall to wall people, no mass. It's crazy. But somewhere in the point of that hour and a half long wait, there's this group of girls, and I'm approached by one of them, and she asks if. I'm the guy in the orange shorts. And I'm like, well, I, I do in fact own a pair of orange <laughs> shorts. And so, you know, she says, well, hey, you know, I recognize you from the gym I go to. You always wear orange shorts. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I've been out of college for just a couple of years. I have like three pairs of shorts total. You know, it's all I got. So I was definitely that guy. Realized we knew each other from the gym. We, we kind of cut it up and, and hung out. And then 
basically, if I remember correctly, had dinner with my family, and then we met back up at Buckhead Saloon that night to play Ashley's infamous Papa Shot, which she is unbeatable at. Thank she, you. She thinks she's unbeatable at everything she does, but this is one of them. Um, so through that, I, our you know relationship, friendship grew, blossomed, whatever you want to call it. We would see each other at the gym. We would take April's spin class at the LA Fitness in, in Brookhaven that had just opened at the time. And from my perspective, we were we were buddies. We were pals. It was cool. Like I enjoyed being around her. Then Ashley moved off to San Diego and what? All right, so I'm going to pause you. So let me give you my perspective up to that point. So I literally stalked the shit out of Burt Johnson at LA Fitness in Buckhead. He was the only guy in the spin class pretty much anyway, so it wasn't hard to like see him and he was attractive and he wore the same orange like old school Auburn basketball like jersey shorts every day. Every day I saw him, he was in the same shorts. Easy to find. And then I would just watch him literally like wherever he went on the floor. I would just like, then my eyes would catch him, right? I mean, I'm in my early 20s. That's what you do. You you get a crush and you stalk the person. It wasn't even like, I mean, I know we had like Facebook and Instagram, but it was nowhere up to date where it is today. God bless all you young kids out there that stalk. So then Emily Beach and I and a couple of other girls were at... Tim Lizzie's like he says, I go up, I'm very loud and outgoing, as most of you already know. And then, of course, he challenges me to pop a shot. In my head, I'm like, okay, I'll play pop a shot. We're going to make out. We're going to get our number. Or we're going to exchange numbers. He's going to take me on a date. Life is going to be great. That was easy. Awesome job, Ashley. And as he called me a buddy, a pal, whatever else you just described me as, I mean, but I'm not kidding you. Like, we had phone calls every Wednesday to, to discuss my fantasy football. We went to the dog park, followed by margaritas at a patio. We talked on the phone often. We hung out on 4th of July in bathing suits and drank and did jello shots. We did the Braves game. I mean, I could not scream louder. Oh, my God. I'm into you. I want you. You did everything but say it. I did everything but say it. Yes, you are exactly right. So that is my perspective. So, of course, then I'm like, okay, literally me and my girlfriends just convinced ourselves that he was not into women. He was into men. And I'll just move on. He doesn't like me because clearly I'm everything he wants. He's spending so much time with me. And I moved to San Diego, not because of Bert, but <laughs> I did move to San Diego. And we kept in touch. Not like heavily but once every six months we'd hop on the phone chat about work chat about life and then I moved back home to start turn studio and we instantly connected and I'll just take it from here and then I'll bring you back in because I like the part of this story I know my place okay <laughs> so I like had these shirts made to launch turn right I mean that the build out is still going on we're nowhere close to even opening and I'm like, oh, let's go grab drinks and catch up to, to Bert. And he's like, yeah, well, I'll bring my girlfriend. And I'm like, yeah, of course, bring your girlfriend. I'm so excited. I even made her like a little bag with her shirt in it. And we go to the Del Frisco's because he lived right behind it. And we sit at the bar, kind of like where we're sitting now. We're cornered. 
and his girlfriend is behind him. And I can't make this up. Like, we literally just, his back is to her 95% of the time. And we're just like, like going back and forth because we had such a strong connection prior to me leaving. And then now I'm very excited about this new adventure. And he was super excited. And I was close with his family actually at the time. And his sister and I were had been good friends. So, I mean, it was just like, you. if somebody had been watching from afar, they probably would have sent your girlfriend like a shot. Like, I'm sorry. Do you see it that way too, right? Yeah, yeah probably. Did you know then that you had feelings for me? Or um, you just knew you didn't have feelings for her? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... He gets really nervous. I haven't... <laughs> to be honest, I probably haven't thought about it that deeply. I was just excited that you were back and we were like reconnecting and that was what I guess started the progression, but I don't think that was the moment. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Cause it was, yeah, for sure. It wasn't definitely the moment. Cause I just thought we were friends for sure. So I open up turn studio. Bert is my number, like I, not my number one, but a huge supporter in the movement, in the opening and that's where we can insert LLS because in 2019, that's right, because I opened in 2018. The end of 2018 is when I started. So he calls me one day. Now we've like really strongly connected our friendship. We picked back up. We're almost so best friends or whatever. And he calls me and he says, hey, I'm going to be a part of Man and Woman of the Year, this massive campaign. I want you on my campaign team. Right? Right. And so, and do you want to tell a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So, Man and Woman of the Year is a fundraising campaign. You know, I guess you call it competition. It, it's it's sort of one of those competitions. We're all in it together. But basically, they take, you know, highly connected people in different markets and different cities. And you go through the Man and Woman of the Year campaign with whoever raises the most money basically being crowned the you know, the man of the year, the woman of the year. It benefits Leukemia Lymphoma Society, which is cancer research organization. Um, they do a lot for, for research for all different kinds of cancer, specifically blood cancer, but the trickle down effect of that is to, to virtually every cancer. And they also do a, a ton for, for patient advocacy. So got involved with them, you know, sort of in a sense to to honor Sam, my brother-in-law that had passed away, it had been seven or eight years at that point since he had passed. And it was always kind of one of those things that, you know, was, was on my mind, what upset me. I always, you know, wore this bracelet as a reminder of just kind of, you know, I lost a, a best friend who was like one of the healthiest people I know. And it's sort of, you know, it can happen to anyone. And so got involved with LLS as a way to kind of, I guess, get up off the sidelines instead of sitting around saying cancer sucks, you know, yeah. which everyone agrees with to, to take action, turn a negative into a positive and, and do something about it. You know, my story didn't end well, but hopefully I had the opportunity to change other people's stories. See, you're just such a good guy. Your heart. That, and, it, and I say that too, because... It was an intense, like extremely intense six months, seven months. The campaign's 10 weeks. I was, oh. initially, was initially nominated 
in like November, December of 2018. The campaign didn't start until March of 2019, went through mid-June. Yeah, that's why I guess I thought it was so long because the party or the gala, whatever. More planning with it. Yeah. He worked his ass off. And it was really, it was probably one of the best turn it forward events we'd done to date. So he asked me to be on the team. And that's where we really just started connecting even more emotionally. And I got to see this different side of Bert. And I just fell in love with this man that he he was through the, the line of work. He was, you know, promoting and trying to find a cure and raise money. And I mean, he would call me with these really high moments during the campaign. He just closed, you know, so-and-so for $20,000 or whatever. And then he'd call me and be like, really down about it because he was promised, you know, X amount of dollars and God bless it, that company wasn't pulling through and so on and so forth. But it was such a fun event to plan here at Turn. We do these Turn It Forward events. One of the reasons why I wanted to start Turn Studio was to be able to have a, even just a small platform, but a way to give back. And, you know, I think Bert kind of said it, but we both, we didn't want to just say like, you know, cancer sucks or beat cancer or donate at church every Sunday. If we could, for me personally, if I could pull a community together and, you know, raise a lot more money than just by myself, I feel like that is such a huge impact that I could be a part of. So we did this awesome, fun morning. We had vendors here. We raised pretty decent money, but it was so funny because if you raised, if you're on the campaign team and you raised a certain amount of money, you got to go to the the gala and like be a part of his table and celebrate and watch him and like literally see if he wins or not. So Bert, Bert was in the running to win man of the year. He raised $210,777. A number you will never forget. Louder one more time. 210777 And what did that man raised <laughs> and how much of it did he raise that night i don't know i raised sixty thousand of mine was raised in the last 10 days yeah but we were winning crazy i know you're not gonna be negative you're only gonna be nice but kritesh we're coming for you one day man <laughs> i'm still so bitter i was but my point of saying that is i actually was like really close to making the table but bert was like no you're gonna be my date and I was like, oh, I'm going to be your date. Okay. So I was his date to that. But that was in June. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to wrap this up because I want to get to the good stuff. Fast forward all summer long. Can I add something? Sure. Do you mind? No, of course I don't mind. <laughs> I raised my hand. Um, <laughs> just like Ashley's talking at the at the same time, kind of throughout like 2018 and 2019, watching her like open and grow turn was like, a similar like parallel moment for me like it was eye-opening seeing like more of the person she was outside of papa shot and football and <laughs> you want to race to the door or whatever we know. played tennis we did play tennis i won that's but, sweet of but you it was, it was eye-opening and, and cool to see you know different sides of her i never really knew that that side of her so oh thanks babe So fast forward through the summer, there were like a lot of hints that we were falling for each other. I went to New York for the US Open one weekend. The Auburn game was on. Burt had been definitely overserved. 
He was FaceTiming me religiously. Lindsay, who I went with, one of my best friends, she was like, oh my God, he's so into you. And I was like, no, he's just wasted. And she was like, Ashley, guys do not just FaceTime girls and then like get hung up and then keep FaceTiming you. I know you're dying to say something. Go ahead. I had to sit at home and watch tennis because you had a good seat and I had to see if you were on You didn't TV have to. You, you got were, to. You were FaceTiming me from those seats. What a lucky guy you what were. What a lucky guy. But that saying. Saturday, it's a, it's a you... Street. Of course, but it's... But you were definitely... It was like that weekend that Lindsay planted in my mind that, okay, you actually do. Mm-hmm. And then a weekend later, thanks to Sam Smith or Springfield, excuse me, it was like some ladies' night out at the bars in Buckhead for some show. I don't even know. I don't remember the reality show that we went to that Turn helped sponsor in Buckhead. My sister-in-law and her best friend, Monica, Lauren and Monica came down. We did this, like, we got all dressed up. We were going out. I asked Bert to meet us for drink. Long story short, we got wasted on tequila. I mean, like, Sam did not quit giving us tequila shots. And then she would just disappear and then reappear with more tequila shots. She knew the bartender. Go. What's interesting, and I've talked to Ashley <laughs> about this before, is my my friend Dan and I went down and, and met her and all the girls before they went to the ladies' night event. And then we went home. And I remember, like, standing in my kitchen eating my, you know, previously scheduled turkey, <laughs> ground turkey and rice. And Dan Habitual me, man he is. Dan texted me and was like, do you want to go out? I was kind of like, eh, okay, sure. So we went. I had nothing to do with the way, the reason why you came back out. No, but I think it's interesting that like you kind of look back at these certain moments, like turning point moments. But it was like there, sure, it was definitely a turning point. But you know, I, I probably knew like going back out that we were gonna like reconnect with you guys. But it's interesting looking back that I made the decision to like put myself out there again, and that's what. Yeah, that's what I love about turning point moments. You don't know when they're happening, but when you reflect back, you see why. So yeah, we ordered pizza or pizza was in my bedroom. And so was Bert when we got back home, Lauren and Monica were giggling downstairs. We woke up, I had to go teach the next morning. Then we went to the Clemson game with my dad, hung over, but literally like the rest is history. I mean, not to go into all the details, but we never like, pump the brakes. We were all in. Once we knew, we knew. There was like no turning back. At that point, we each knew each other's families well. We knew everything about each other. There was no like learning curve. There was no like gradual slope into it, you know, where we had to guard ourselves and figure out who the person was. Play hard to get. But I think it's interesting. And this is where I wanted to get in the The episode really is we were both late in the game, according to society standards, 35 years old, 34 years old, whatever, 35. Sure. Mm -hmm. Kind of start counting once you pass 30. But if you are listening and you are like, woe is me because I'm still single and and you're not even in 30s yet. My advice to you is literally just chill out, calm down, take advantage of discovering yourself and being able to be free and and literally go out when you want to go out, find yourself at home. And if you're in your thirties and you still haven't found the one, I mean, easier said than done. I get it. I I got told thousands of times over, Oh, you'll find it when it's time or you'll 
he'll show up when you least expect it or, you know, all those cliche statements. But I literally think like we are living proof that that actually is the truth. And the amount of anxiety and depression and loneliness and tears that you cry on the the couch or whatever at night. Obviously, I'm not saying like don't do it because it's inevitable and it's worth feeling those emotions. But I promise you that if you are meant to be with somebody, your time will come. Now, obviously, you do have to put yourself out there, right? Like you can't just stay at home 24-7 and expect like the man or woman of your dreams to enter into your apartment door, your house door. But anything you'd want to add to that um, as a man's point of view? As a man's point of view, I will say that I, I felt similar emotions to that. I think like you're not supposed to talk about it. Guys aren't allowed to feel vulnerable or whatever. But I think even as a guy, you, you sort of feel like the clock's ticking for you. Like if you've tried and failed so many times, it begins to like take a toll on you for sure. And you, you kind of question whether or not the you know, forever game is, is for you. But there was a time, I guess, probably like two years before we really connected. I, you know, got out of living with roommates. I moved in by myself. I found a routine and like a lifestyle that I could really like thrive in. And I got, I got myself together and I stopped, I stopped. Obsessing about well, I stopped finding. needing it. Mm, like, ah. it was like, if it happens, it would be like a blessing, but I didn't, I didn't search for it that I like needed to have it to be happy. And that's so cliche to say, and everyone says that, but. But it is true. Like when school, you've lived both sides, you can always look back and be like, wow, it really is true. Like it'll happen if it's supposed to happen and yeah. on the timing that it's supposed to be. At the point where like, you know, we got involved, like I was cool with, being me and and doing my thing and I was like happy where my life was at but I do think that advice I would give is you still have to be open to it just because you failed in dating you can't just close yourself off to it you don't have to like you don't have to force it and I mean forcing it's worse than the pain you feel of being alone if you force it and you're with someone that doesn't make you happy that's certainly not worth it and I kind of feel like, especially if you've reached your 30s or even your 40s, the dating game almost has to become like your sales game. Like you have to knock down 100 doors of no's to get a yes, right? You have to, you know, live on the dating app and swipe or go on dates and say, oh my God, that guy was not who he looked like or it was awful or he got hammered or and she or whatever. You could fill in he or she. But you never know when one opportunity actually turns into a yes. So if you just, if you give up or you act like being picky is the answer, I personally just, I get so frustrated with some of my friends who are like, oh, I've seen them all or there's just no good guys here. Well, until you've literally gone through every single guy or girl, you can't really say that or have that mindset because you just never know. Maybe you're out with, so-and-so and and you turn around and see the man or woman of your dreams and a week later you go up to them and say hey were you the guy in the orange shorts last week right you just i mean that's how life works yeah you can't um i I think another thing with dating apps and instagram and all that that's 
interesting that you have to like learn yourself is that you just gotta like be authentic and you mm. gotta be yourself it's easy with dating apps just throw four pictures out there that are like your best looking pictures and you've got the good angle and you hold the biggest fish or you know whatever and you write the answers. That's such a dude thing. I know. That's right. But you write, <laughs> you write the answers the way that you want to be perceived. And I think once you reach that level where you're like comfortable enough with yourself and, and you don't go on the first date and you don't try and act to what you think they want you to be and you just be yourself, then you don't have to waste three months pretending to be a character. You're just yourself. And I think it's easier to find it that way. And if you're comfortable in being who you are the no's are different it's yeah. it's them not me I'm I like who I am I'm comfortable with who I am if you don't like me you're not for me yeah absolutely it's so funny I was thinking how the men look for the picture with the biggest fish and the girls are like their tits have to be perfect and their their like eyes have to be a certain way I don't even have a picture of the fish well you don't fish I don't yeah that's like the one Auburn thing that's not Auburn about you I worked at that marina. Yeah. Okay. Right. Anyway. All right. So there's a little love advice for people who are still single. Just hang on. I promise you if it's meant to be with somebody, but please like take advantage. And I'm not saying like the grass is always greener on the other side, but there's so many pros and cons to both sides of it being single and in a relationship that don't suffer in your singleness, if that makes sense. All right. So my favorite question is what is the best part about our marriage? Yeah, so I guess this kind of piggies back off like the the single thing a little bit where, you know, I, I went through life for 34, 35 years solo and it's so nice to finally have like a true partner. Like sure, I had girlfriends and I have friends, but I've never... And I'm different in this aspect, but I've never really had someone who I like 100% was like ride or die that like knew everything about me and that I knew was going to be there and vowed for for better or for worse. <laughs> hair, hair, no, no hair, hair. Knew that was coming. Back pain or no back pain. Uh, ever since we got married, the next day he shaved his head. Literally, I was hung over on the couch eating a cheeseburger and I fell asleep and I woke up to my newly husband with a shaved head, like legit shaved head. And then two months into our marriage, he threw his back out mm -hmm. and has been unable to basically walk, work out <laughs> and not complain about it since then. But life is really great. But it's, it's so nice to have someone by my side that supports my <laughs> hairstyles that will bring me food when I'm laying on the ground. Yeah. I would say different. the best part about our marriage is literally laughing as much as I do. Like, if y'all know Bert, he's so freaking nice. All my girlfriends know this. Like, I say this all the time. Like, Bert is so nice. And it, that's why it's so troublesome for me to, like, understand why anybody would ever want to hurt him or like make him upset because legit Bert is like literally genuinely nice. I don't even say that about myself. Like I am not that nice. I am more like aggressive and right. I think my microphone's broken. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I would say legit just laughing as much as I do and, and having my girlfriends love you as much as like 
I would want them to because they love hanging out with you. And that's like a true gift. So I would say that first because now I really want to like ask you, what's the hardest part about marriage from your perspective? It's the same thing that what's good about it is that <laughs> I've always just dealt with things on my own. I've never talked to a soul about anything that bothers me, whether it's in my head. I have a large head. I wear big hats and there's a lot of space for things to bounce around in there. And I, I'm constantly just doing mental gymnastics of things that, that bother me. And I also am a doer. Like I like doing things myself. I don't like calling the handyman to come fix things. I like to do it myself. And I'm, mm. I'm that way with my problems too. Like I'm going to solve it myself. I don't want to burden someone else with what I've got. And I think that it's hard for me in a marriage and <laughs> gets me in trouble where <laughs> <laughs> biggest grin I've seen all day um, where I try and figure things out on my own and I don't, I don't communicate effectively. I've never had to communicate. And I think that it's tough for me to be vulnerable and say these things are bothering me as opposed to just like holding them in and trying to fix them before yeah, and what's so funny to me is you have two people, and this is for all marriages, right? Like two people coming together as one, but so many people have the expectation that it's supposed to be just flawlessly perfect and that here comes entering in Sally and here comes entering Ken and they're just supposed to be magical and sex is great and communication is great or not great, but they don't know about it because they can't talk about it. And dinner is served and you go to bed, you wake up and like there's supposed to be just all roses and no thorns. And it's so funny to me because I am the opposite. <laughs> and Bert and I went through premarital counseling. And that was like something I'm obviously a big advocate for is counseling in general. But because we were raised so differently, because our backgrounds are so different in conflict management, communication, and honestly, because I went through counseling so much that it made me, I feel like, put a lot of expectations on him of who I thought he should be in the communication and in the conflict arena. And then it was like our worlds would collide when we didn't match up because I can't read his mind, which nobody can. And I'm, and I'm sure so many couples out there, if they were listening to this, they were probably like shaking their head like, I want to talk about it right now and I want to yell about it right now and I want to get it resolved right now. Where Bert and I, I think it's safe to say is like the typical man, you want to like walk away, marinate on it and then come back. I want to have the conversation in my head 27 times and <laughs> perfect it and then I want to come back and I want it to play out exactly that way. And would I be okay to say like you are a victim of putting the cart before the horse? Like you anticipate or you assume or you like overanalyze the outcome before you've even like put into action to see where it's going to go. Yeah. That's every, <laughs> that's, that's everywhere in my life. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to plan and I want to schedule and I want every, you know, I don't really hear to it like that strictly, but I do like things to go according to, to plan. And I'm the opposite. Like I'm a fly by the seat kind of girl I, I like some structure and some planning, of course. I mean, as a business owner, I got to know what I'm doing next week, next month, you know, next quarter, whatever. 
But when it comes to most aspects of my life, I don't like any plans on my personal schedule. I don't want to think about it later. I want to handle it now. And I think that's like such a huge part in our relationship that we've learned. I think we are still, I mean, obviously we are still learning, but a huge lesson for me is that like not everybody thinks, acts and does what I want or how I do. And I feel like you've had to really be vulnerable more so in the last one year and learn how to communicate and learn how to like express your feelings or like shit would just hit the fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm so vulnerable or I'm too open, would you say? Like I, if I think it, I say it. Mm-hmm. And then I push your buttons. Yep. <laughs> but my point in all of this is, and I think I've touched on it a couple of times, but like over communication is so important. Even when you don't know if it's the right thing to say or you don't have all your words together or you haven't figured it out, God forbid, in your own little head or big head, as you say, leaning on each other is better than scrambling internally forever. Yeah? Yeah. Both together. Yeah. Hair, no hair. So to, to go along with the question, what's the hardest part, is I would say conflict management. And realizing that you eat the same meal every single day for lunch and dinner, and I am the opposite. I want a different meal. I want to go out to eat. And you eat those different meals sometimes with your mouth open. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks I'm a loud chewer. It's so annoying. He just had to get that in. And I'm not. I've actually asked him to to show me. And it's not even (laughs) terrible. Anyway, we got to wrap this up. So we've been married now for six months. At the end of the month, it'll be six months. A a week. In a week. It'll be six months. And I really just want to close out this episode now that people know who my husband is. So moving forward, when I tell stories or maybe I bitch and complain or maybe I'm happy as a lamb. Now y'all know who my husband Bert is. I would love to, for any guy or male or men that are listening, because I personally know that you haven't just been like, it hasn't been an easy road 24-7. Like you've had to overcome a lot or struggle through. I know we've touched on the single bit, but is there anything that you could say to wrap us up that would give encouragement or motivation to to anybody listening? It's funny. On the list of questions you gave me, one of the last ones was, was fears and challenges you've had to overcome. And as I sit here, I think every single thing that we've talked about comes down to that fear is like expectation and perfection and like we talk about schedule, but it's really, I want to be prepared. I want to know what I'm going into. And I think that's like been tough for me to overcome in, in, in dating and business and family conflict and family and workouts, food, whatever. I always want to know what the outcome is before. And I get paralysis by over analysis and I hold myself to a high standard in my head and I want to be perfect, but I know I'm not going to be. And so a lot of times I will like sort of freeze myself up where it's tough for me to move forward because I want to be so perfect in what I'm doing. And I think like we just said with dating, with those like tough conversations with 
whatever, you just got to go. You just got to take the first step. Like the hardest thing about conflict is starting the conversation. It's the lead up. Like it's in your head. It is in your head. It's the weight on your shoulders. But you just got to take that first step. Like it's the same with turn. Well, you're scared to adhere to a strict workout regimen. Well, you don't have to look at it and say, well, I have to work out five times a week for the next year. All you got to do is just show up and walk in the door and do it. And the momentum of that will carry you. And I think that's advice for a lot of people. And especially in the environment we're in now, it's like you get stuck at home and you get comfortable, but it's, you just got to take the first step and everything else will fall in place. Like keep moving. Basically on the last episode, I said, you're your own worst enemy. And that is what you just said. You're in your own head. Fear gets the best of you or all of the analytics that you're putting in your mind instead of just breathing and asking the first question or taking the first step. So I know there's a lot of turn listeners that we, that I have, maybe just only turn listeners, but you never know one day, right? Is there anything that you get behind the scenes of turn Ashley owner that you think that they would like either laugh or need to know about or anything you want to share on that regard? Cause yeah. I know who I am behind closed doors um, <laughs> as my husband. Yeah. There's a lot of different perspectives seeing turn from the eyes of the owner, from the instructor, from, you know, whoever, where, you know, turn is, takes a lot of effort to run there's a lot of moving parts you don't just open the door and people walk in you have to actively go get those people and bring them in the door you have to you know adhere to this strict schedule that literally is non-stop and only stops on christmas day like it's not (laughs) it's not easy everyone who who comes to turn loves fitness and they love riding bikes and they love what happens here but I think people don't understand is that it it takes effort to get to that awesome community and to build a place like turn that you don't just you don't just open the door and print money yeah I I would pay money to open the door to print money (laughs) I literally I literally would I would forego my small salary that I take to do that but thank you for saying that I know that I put you through a lot of early mornings. You say I slam the drawers. I don't even keep my workout clothes in drawers. So I don't, I think you're just sleeping, but I do wake up very early, 4.30 in the morning, but I know it takes a lot of patience and a lot of biting your own tongue because I can go off Yeah. about the stress of turn. Yeah, there's a lot of things and it's, it's constant and it is sometimes is down to like the very nitty gritty and people are just gonna be people in an environment <laughs> like this and i think that's that's if i've that's ever it. gotten an email a dm or a text from a client that was not so positive or very entitled or very disrespectful the first person that gets it is burnt or who gets to hear about it is burnt so and the playlisting the playlisting is like <laughs> honestly nonstop. and any of the guys you know scott or alex or you know vaughn or you know ian or whoever like 
they get it and Ashley refuses <laughs> to wear headphones. So there's this constant barrage of techno, like instrumental <laughs> noise. It's awesome. Um, reverberating throughout the house. So it's it's lovely. It's also exciting when you get new sneakers every day delivered and you show them off. You're passionate about that. I'm passionate about making playlists. Anyway, all right. We're going to wrap it up. Coming to an end here. My first guest on my podcast here. Thank you guys for hanging in. I hope you enjoyed it. If there were any takeaways to, you know, hang on in your singlehood or communicate more in your marriage or just smile along the way and take the first step and get out of your own head when it comes to having a hard conversation with anybody or any aspect in your life. But Bert Johnson, I know I've made you late for a meeting, but thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sweating in my office. Hot seat. Hot seat. And I'm sorry we didn't drink, but you know what we do to close out every episode, right? Can you put it out there officially to the world? When you stay gold or sweat gold, is it three, two, one, or one, two, three? Make a decision. Let's go with one, two, three. Okay. So on three, we stay gold. Ready? One, two, three. Stay gold.